millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. To our new listeners, welcome. To our old listeners, welcome back. Another episode of Magical Education awaits you. But first, we would like to say a few words. Nitwit, blubber, oddment, tweak. Podcast nine and three quarters topic of the week is Australian Magical Land. Hello listeners, I'm Ria. And hi listeners, I'm Jem. Before we begin today, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of country and their continuing connections to land, waters, and community. I pay my respects to elders past, present, and emerging, and extend that respect to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who are listening. Sovereignty was never ceded. Australian magical land, guys! Who's excited? (laughs) I am so excited. We've got so many thoughts. Do we need to explain what acknowledgement of country was? What you just said there, the acknowledgement of country. Do we need to explain that? Maybe a little bit. Or was it fairly self-evident? For anyone who's not Australian or not versed in what acknowledgement of country is, in Australia, we are standing on stolen land. There are plenty mm-hmm. of lands and nations that are in this country that we call Australia. And so what often happens is for a significant event or ceremony or something that is significant for the land that you're standing on, if you're introducing that event, what may happen is if a person of First Nations descent is there and does a greeting, they might open with a welcome to country. Um, If you're not a person person who is First Nations person, then you would do an acknowledgement of country, which is sort of just like paying respect to the land that you're standing on, the people that belong to that land, and just sort of, yeah, does that make sense? (laughs) Like, it's sort of an acknowledgement. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah, it's something that we haven't done on the show before because it didn't seem relevant to the topics at Mm. hand. But because we're now talking about Magical Australia and the land and the history and the culture that we're a part of, it seemed like a good idea to open with that. Yeah. Yeah, but as I was listening to you, I'm like, hmm, this will make absolutely no sense to any listener who is not Australian (laughs) and not familiar with our culture and customs. (laughs) Well, time to learn. (laughs) Yeah. Welcome to the deep end, motherfuckers. Get in. (laughs) Uh, I think just quickly before we start as well, Australia is a very messy country with a complex history. Mm -hmm. Just put it, I I think we should start every episode with a bit of a content warning because although we're trying to talk about Mm. different topics, there may be a bit of overlap and some of the topics that we do talk about may be very triggering. So just to cover off a couple of dot Mm -hmm. points, we might talk about colonialism. We might talk about genocide. We might talk about the very dark history of this country. So if that's something that you're not comfortable mm-hmm. hearing about, I just recommend not listening, especially to the first two episodes. Maybe skip to the later episodes in this yeah. series, And we'll talk about the miniseries now. I would say, especially to episode two, which is going to yeah. be our history episode, where we will be looking at the history of Australia and talking about that. We'll get to that more. This is going to be more about like the geography and the environment, and we will touch on those topics mm-hmm. as they come up. But you should be okay for this one, but... Be safe for further yeah, episodes yeah. in the series. I have a bit of a spiel about our Magical Australia series, if you want me to say that. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. 
Okay, so this is the first episode of our Magical Australia series, where we explore what the country of Australia would be like within the context of the magical world of Harry Potter. In this mini-series, we will cover four broad topics. Australian magical land, Australian magical history, Australian magical culture, and lastly, an Australian magical school. Obviously, all of these topics contain a lot of crossover, but we will try to remain as on-topic as possible and eventually cover all of the overlap by the end of the miniseries. Okay, so I've approached this sort of trying to keep in mind that I, I imagine many of our listeners, your only real context for Australia beyond the facts that we've shared in this podcast as it's as we've been running for like six years and talking about our own experiences and memories of living in this country probably Mm -hmm. your only real context for australia is going to be popular culture so what like finding nemo crocodile dundee that one simpsons episode (laughs) (laughs) and recently more recently heartbreak high but (laughs) heartbreak high if anything has shown us that plenty of people don't know a lot about this country yeah because there's been a lot of commentary around some of the themes in that that people just um, it's going straight over their head they don't get it Mm -hmm. so (laughs) so i going into australia australian land I started with like some really basic stuff and I thought it would be good to just sort of talk about Australia and then get into the magical Australia stuff. So can I maybe get us started? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's go. Let's go geography facts. Geography facts. Here's what I had about Australian geography. (laughs) Australia. Starting so basic, guys. We're in the Southern Hemisphere. (laughs) Great Southern land. Great Southern land. Which immediately (laughs) means that we're separated from the majority of the world, both in terms of like physical distance. We're really far away from everything. And the fact that our seasons are reversed. So we have summer during everyone's winter and all of our years and holidays are all jumbled up compared to everyone else. Mm. By everyone, we're talking about the Western Hemisphere, which is mostly what Australia relates to culturally. Mm -hmm. So that's why we can feel like a bit of an outcast in terms of the Western Hemisphere, because that's our culture. And also, as it's relevant here, the UK and Britain, everything where Harry Potter is set, we are like as far away from there as you could physically get and still be on the same planet. (laughs) Uh, we are between the Indian and Pacific Oceans as well. Slay. Yeah. Australia is the only <laughs> continent that is also a country. So the entire continent also, is one yeah. country. There's nowhere else on Earth that's that. Uh, yeah. There's no one doing it like no us. No one doing it like us. <laughs> <laughs> it's the smallest continent, the sixth largest oh, country, yeah. and the largest island nation. So what that yeah. means is we have no land borders. The entire island is one country, and all of our borders are ocean borders. Yeah, the, um, we also have some other islands around us, including Tasmania. We do, yeah, I'm going to get Which to that. are part of Australia. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. The only other island nation that's close to ours in size is Greenland, which is one quarter the size of us. We're huge. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty big. Uh, yeah, so Australia, when I'm talking about the country, that's the mainland, which I imagine most of you could probably picture. Tasmania, which is the large island state to the southeast of the mainland. And then several smaller islands on and around our coastline like kangaroo island and christmas island they're all part of australia as Mm -hmm. well yep okay yes kangaroo island is a real place yes kangaroo island is a real place i deliberately picked (laughs) islands with the stupidest names because i (laughs) thought people would find that amusing yeah we've got christmas island (laughs) kangaroo island (laughs) yeah yeah uh so that's what i have for our geography like i've got some other notable geography geographic features we've got lake air and uluru and things like that but i think they'll come up if they Mm. come up we don't need to go on through all that yeah yeah (laughs) next i've got a section on environment and population do you want to comment on geography first or move through a lot of this basic note stuff and then start talking about it i think just a quick thing on geography even though our land mass is so massive we only have seven states Mm -hmm. well sorry how many states and territories i think it's five states two territories territories. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah. Five states, two territories. So, yeah, the land is basically chopped up kind of like a jigsaw puzzle, but like a, like a child did it. Mm-hmm. So it's just like lots of... Like, some of the states are just massive. Like, Western yeah. Australia is the biggest state, and it's, like, basically half the country. Yeah, um, it's a third. It's a full yeah. third of the country is one state <laughs> called Western Australia. Yeah. And it's just the entire West. Yeah. The West third of the country is just one state. And it's got, like, two people living there. The majority of the Australian population is... Situ- oh, we'll talk about population now. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I've got environment and population <laughs> next. Yeah. So, if you've ever... If you've never looked at a satellite image of Australia, I recommend it. There's a reason why our country is called the Red Center, and it's because if you look at us from space, the entire country is just red with, like, a green border around the edge. Yeah. And that's because the vast majority of our landscape is just, like, flat desert plain or, like, outback bush. Yeah. A full fifth of the country is desert. And even more than that is not technically desert, but has a desert climate, which means it's just desert. (laughs) (laughs) It's all just red sand and no people, or very few people out Mm. there. So most of the people live around the edges of the country on or near the coastline. Yeah. That's where all of our capital cities are, with one exception, which I'll talk about later because it's very relevant. <laughs> special capital city. <laughs> one special different city that was put there on purpose for a very specific reason, but everyone else decided to live on the coast where it's habitable. <laughs> yeah. And our three largest capital cities, our biggest populations are Brisbane, Sydney, and Melbourne. They are all on the East Coast. Yeah. Along with the majority of the population of the country, everyone lives on the East Coast or in the South. Basically, everyone lives on the East Coast, yeah. Yeah. And the reason for that, there is a very important and very significant reason for that, (laughs) is our biggest, or maybe not biggest, our most important geographical feature, I would say, is a mountain range which runs along the eastern coast from the north of the country to the south of the country. It's called the Great Dividing Range. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because it very literally divides the country, <laughs> not in half, but it divides us like into 10% and 90%. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what happens is, so rain comes into Australia from the Pacific Ocean. So it clouds blow in from the east to the west. Mm-hmm. And so they sweep over the eastern coast until they hit that mountain range, the Great Dividing Range, and that's where they dump all the rain. Yeah. So the east coast gets a lot of water and the environment there is very lush. It's very tropical, very pl- prone to flooding. Yeah. And then uh, the clouds sweep over the top of the Great Dividing Range and there's no water left for the other side of the country. <laughs> the land to the west gets less and less water. and We go through like farmlands then bushland then out back then desert and then it's just desert 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 all the way to the west coast and then beautiful perth with its nice, nice beaches <laughs> in west which is all the way on the other side on the coast again yeah, it's in a different time zone <laughs> yeah oh complete it's like three hours different from the rest of the country yeah it's huge so that one mountain range catches all the rain and it literally divides the country into rainforest and desert. Yeah. And that has a massive impact on our population spread. We all cling to the East Coast and then the rest of the country is empty by comparison. Mm. I think another reason why the East Coast is obviously more populated is because that is where Australia was colonized. The, yes, the beginning is a colonization started on the East Coast, tried to get over mm-hmm. the Great Dividing Range, but it was pretty unsuccessful um, yeah. for the most part. So Yeah, we'll yeah. talk about that probably more in history, but yeah, all of our, the first fleet mm. and Captain Cook, when he originally discovered Australia, that was all along the East Coast and that's where everyone settled, Botany Bay, the original colony. Yeah, so that's when that's why most of the major cities are there because that's, yeah. they've just been built for about 200 years or so. Mm-hmm. 
There was actually a theory for a very long time that Australia had an inland ocean. Yeah. They thought if they could get across the mountain and get far enough into the desert, they would find like a beautiful oasis that would be populable. <laughs> Boy, they, they were wrong. fucking died. <laughs> <laughs> they all died trying to cross the desert. There's nothing there, man. You can just keep going forever. <laughs> well, to be fair, back in like prehistoric times, like I'm talking like Gondwana land, right? <laughs> when yeah. Australia was connected to Antarctica and stuff like before Pangaea and all that. There um, was a big ocean there yeah. <laughs> in the middle of Australia because we keep finding fossils that are like from corals and stuff like in the middle of the desert. Yeah, so. but if you're, if you're rewinding back that far, like eventually the whole world was ocean. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah. Not in like the 17 and 1800s, there was no ocean there. No, no. <laughs> it was just sand. Like Mad Max said, you can drive until you run out of petrol. You're not going to find anything more but salt. Uh. Um. So some natural hazards we've got, cyclones along the northern coast. Darwin is a major city there. They often get hit by cyclones. Mm -hmm. Storms and floods along the east. It gets wet there where all the rain is. And then for the rest of the country, drought, heat waves and bushfires are our big, big problems. Bushfires are a massive thing here. Mm. So I just wanted to run through just some basic population stats while we're on this sort of topic. Sure, yeah, yeah. So comparing to the UK... Population of UK is 67 million. Population of Australia is 25 million. Australia is 32 times bigger than the UK. (laughs) So we have one third of the population of the UK in 30 times the space. Yeah. Australia is a huge, empty country. Yeah. Okay. I've got a little bit on climate, and then from there I go into flora and fauna. And I think we can talk about other stuff before we start getting into animals and plants. Yeah, okay. But I'll just make a quick note on climate. Our climate, I would say, is extremely level compared to the rest of the world. Yeah. We don't have four distinct seasons here. We have two. It is summer from December to February. Autumn and spring are just pre and post summer. And then winter in the middle of the year is just wet. It's just wet and slightly cold. That's especially common for everything from about Sydney up, Mm -hmm. um, which is like the northern part of Australia. Down here in mm-hmm. Canberra and Melbourne, there's definitely four seasons. Like, I can see them happening for my eyes. But even then, they're definitely not to the extremes that we see in places like UK, America. Like, we don't get snow on our streets. Mm-hmm. If you drive up all the way up to the mountains, you'll see snow. Like, thick yeah. snow. But it's not happening. Like, we don't have a city that's built to accommodate snow here in Australia. It's just not existent. Yeah. I can um, count on one hand how many times I've seen snow. Not in mountains, because that doesn't. There's always snow in mountains. <laughs> But, like, the number of times I've been, like, walking down the street or something and seen snowfall, I can count it on one hand and I would have three fingers left over. Mm, I've never seen that in this country. I've seen it overseas, but not here. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I've seen it distinctly twice, and I can remember both times. It was both just crazy freak weather. We got, like, five minutes of snow and then it immediately melted. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, temperature ranges obviously vary across the country, but just to give a rough idea... I would say that in winter, we get maybe from 0 to 10 at night, and then 10 to 20 in the day. That's degrees Celsius. Mm-hmm. And then in summer, it sits in the 30s, getting up to the four, getting up to like early 40s all day and all night. It's pretty yeah. much standard. Yeah. It's and that's gross. like, yeah. <laughs> I would say that's pretty steady across the country. It gets colder in the south, hotter in the north. Like, we know how the equator works. Yeah. But pretty standard. 
Yeah, and that's that's pretty much <laughs> what you need to know about Australia. Geography and environment. We'll get into flora and fauna as we talk more about this. That's been quick geography facts with Rhea. That was fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, I wanted to talk about the country as if people don't know anything about it. Never yeah. heard of it. Never been there. <laughs> yeah. I don't know this country. <laughs> I don't know her. <laughs> yeah. Who is she? <laughs> um, I Let's talk a bit about magic. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's... It's important when we're talking about this land topic to, as much as possible, try and think about the physical space like and where things yes. are situated on Australia, if we've got like a mental map in our mind. Mm-hmm. So I had a question here. What does magic feel like in Australia? So I have a mm-hmm. bit more on that. We have before made the argument that magic leaves traces, that over time it can have such an impression on an environment that it almost gives that space a personality. How would the Mm -hmm. oldest and longest surviving civilization living on and interacting with the landscape in Australia affect this environment magically? And by oldest Mm -hmm. civilization, I'm referring, of course, to the First Nations people of Australia. For anyone who doesn't know, they are the oldest continuing civilization in history. Mm -hmm. So they've been here since... That's actually... I should have Googled that. How long have the First Nations... I think it's it's something like 80 million years or 80,000. Surely it can't be 80 million. That would be crazy. 60,000 years or more, mm. upwards of 60,000 years is what current research is saying, but I have seen things in the millions. Okay. Because they're finding new stuff every day. They're finding new fossils, new mm-hmm. cave paintings, new art that dates predates that. So Yeah. So yeah. what we mean by that is in terms of like a people and a culture that still exists today, because the Indigenous Australians are still around and yeah. still have... We'll get more into Indigenous Australia, but Indigenous Australian culture as like a continuous surviving thing, you can trace it all the way from the beginning to now and it still exists and they're still alive. Mm-hmm. We are the oldest one in the entire world. And sorry, when I say we, <laughs> I mean the Indigenous Australians are the oldest one in the entire world. Yeah, There are yeah. older cultures, but they've died out and disappeared. Not Indigenous Australians. Been yeah. around for at least 60 million years. Yeah. So... Talking about magic leaving traces, when I think about that in terms of the Harry Potter series, obviously the biggest thing that stands out to me is Hogwarts and Mm. the fact that the castle is alive because it's been around for about a thousand years and has been full of magical people that entire time. Mm -hmm. And probably when I think in terms of the series, I think, well, some of the most magical places are the places where populations of people are congregating or have congregated for centuries or more and Mm -hmm. like created these magical spaces. In terms of Australia being a very old country, Australia was discovered and colonised by white people, is it two or three centuries ago? I should know this off the top of my head. 1778, right? 1778. Oh, God. Now you're making me do math. So, what, like 250 (laughs) years ago? Yeah. Yeah. Give or take. So, in terms of, like, I would say the modern population of Australia... Like, all of these, all of our big cities that I just mentioned, they've only been around for a couple of centuries at most. Like, we don't yeah. have old places except what's there naturally in the land because mm. oh, we're getting more into history now. Uh, unless I'm very misinformed, which I might be, our indigenous population didn't have, like, settlements and, like, towns and cities and things like that. Not like, say, like, Aztec people that, is a that bit of- built pyramids or anything that is a bit of a misinformation yeah i was under the impression they were more of a nomadic people and moved from place to place within their own territories and lands so no (laughs) basically um there were structures there was agriculture there was diplomacy there was civilization in every sense of the world in every Mm -hmm. sense of the word 
given the nature of this landscape, it like it mightn't have looked how a Western person might expect it, but mm-hmm. it was there. Like there was villages, people were building structures, there was people tilling the land, fishing mm-hmm. and stuff like that. There was agriculture and aquaculture. Like important locations and cultural sites were sort of were, were fashioned by the First Nations people of this land, but they were still natural Mm -hmm. if that makes sense like yes that's what i was leading into yeah they were taken care of they were purposefully shaped Mm -hmm. that it yeah it like there was a purposeful shape shape of the land by indigenous people there was also the nomadic aspect of it Mm -hmm. it depends on the different what nation you were in so as we talk about this i'm just being a very way that we haven't done the spiel yet we are not indigenous australian people we are not first nations people we are white australians colonizing this land essentially mm-hmm. second generation immigrants yeah second generation immigrants with uh british and irish backgrounds yeah yeah and obviously a lot of the history that we were taught in our public school education was very misinformed and lacking mm-hmm. especially when it comes to indigenous history so a lot of the stuff that we've had to research for this episode has come from our own readings and our own research and our own cultural understandings but we cannot possibly try to encapsulate the varied the varied thousands of different cultures that existed pre-contact in this country. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of impossible for us to make blanket statements <laughs> like I was just doing. Yeah. But I mean, I think we can safely say there was a history of civilization here pre-contact. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's not, it's, it's not big as tech pyramids. It's just, it's, it's different, yes. but it's still sacred and important. And like, it's still evidence of that civilization. Like I'm, I'm just babbling at this point. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll step back in. So what I was trying to say, what I was trying to lead yeah. to, is that when I think of uh, sacred or just important, long-standing Indigenous Australian sites and places, I would think of natural yeah. features curated and cared for by the Indigenous people. But I don't think of like big pyramids or fancy tombs or uh, I don't know, like farmlands that's been around for ten thousand years or anything like that. I would think of, for example, where we grew up, there were like local uh, pippy beds mm. that were like uh, like seafood places, mm-hmm. places where they like farmed and gathered um, pippies and clams and things like that out mm-hmm. of the beach. Those were sacred places. Uh, I think of Uluru, mm. the giant rock in the middle of the country that's a sacred space. I think of like forests and rivers and mountains yeah. and places like Meeting that. places, burial places. Yes. Places of trade and diplomacy, places of, like, ceremony. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think of big villages or big mm. cities or anything along those lines. Not castles, nothing like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no castles here. Yeah. So in terms of magic leaving traces, I think, like, the traces of magic, if we're going all the way back to indi- indigenous peoples, mm. and this is a big leap because we haven't even really talked about that, I would think of magic embedded into the natural land and into the natural environment. Yeah, 100%. Like, it's yeah. inevitable. If they've been here for 60,000 or more years, like, it, it would be all around us. Like, you know, mm-hmm. most places that you would visit, but especially places of cultural significance, mm-hmm. would have that magical weight to them. I would say I've even felt that, like, just in real life, yeah. visiting some of these old places or, like, beautiful natural formations that exist in Australia, which I've been to. yeah. It's definitely they feel magical. It's hard to explain for anyone who hasn't experienced it, but it's definitely mm-hmm. very different when you drive or travel from the coast of Australia further and further inland. 
the vibe changes. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's a different feeling. It's a reference. It's hard to explain. <laughs> it's very hard to explain. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it feels... this. Yeah, there's no way to say this without biting my own tongue. Yeah. It feels like stepping into, like, a modern, sanitized world into something before that. Something yeah. older and more Prehistoric. ancient than that. Because most of it is relatively untouched like mm. most of it is i mean obviously that there's like the touch of colonialization spreads across this entire country and yeah. deforestation and the land has been permanently altered mm-hmm. but you can go into the bush and you're in the bush there's no buildings there's no cars <laughs> like mm. it's yeah it's, it's hard yeah. to explain for anyone who hasn't experienced it <laughs> yeah it is it is very possible to travel a day or so in a direction and feel like you're the only person in the world. Yeah. There That's are... not true, but it it can feel like that very, very easily. There are spots in Australia where if you're standing there, the closest people to you are in the ISS, the International Space Station. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so. Yeah. But yeah, there's places in Australia that are so isolated, the nearest human being is in space. Yeah. I have personally not been to those places, but <laughs> you can get the feeling. Yeah. <laughs> Natural disasters. If magic is an emotion, is our country restless and injured? Okay, so this is the point I guess I wanted to make. Ever since contact... (laughs) God. Ever since contact and colonization, the environment of this country has not really been considered. That This country Mm. is very delicate. Like, it's very old, but it's very Mm. delicate. And basically, the mass capitalism and agricultural practices that were put here by the colonizing forces disrupted that balance and disrupted the respect for the land and basically it's just caused mm-hmm. almost irreparable environmental damage <laughs> like it's it's wiped mm-hmm. out the species of animals it's disrupted the food chain the delicate mm-hmm. balance of natural forces in this land and i think that has been yeah. shown more than ever in the last couple of years where there's just been consistent back-to-back natural disasters mass extinctions mm-hmm. where at a point where it's almost a point of no return it's very sad climate change yeah, climate change. The greatest horror of our natural de- of our modern day. Not to get too political, but basically we were in a political situation for the last decade or so where climate change was just not considered, not cared about. Mm-hmm. And so that has had a significant, significant consequences on the land and its people. So I guess <laughs> the analogy I'm trying to draw here is that maybe if we're thinking of Australia as a magical land we can think of like these sorts of consequences on nature and the environment as the magic here is delicate. It's temperamental. It needs to be respected. Mm -hmm. There needs to be like rules and reverence for it. Otherwise, if you fuck with it too much, bad things will happen. If that makes sense. Like, you know what I'm saying? If you don't take care of the land, it's not going to take care of you. Yeah. I think that's very true and very like, in line with, I would say, Indigenous Australian ways of thinking about the land. Yeah, it's not something that I've ever really thought about in that kind of way, but it it does speak to me as very true. Mm. Especially in the last mm. few years, like bushfires, floods. Bushfires. That's just, things. we weren't taking care of the land, and now all our homes are gone. <laughs> like, you know? Yeah. <laughs> now we're not going to have any koalas yeah. anymore, and, like, it's just... That's all very service level things, but you get what I'm saying. Like the the environment has it's taking back mm. what was taken from it. I see that. It, that's a. I don't know. I a part of me wants to rebel against that because I feel like it's a very what's the word white centric. That's not a very good way of describing it. 
it's very arrogant to assume that like you know, storms and bushfires and things that just happen naturally are about, are about us, us yeah. and are a consequence of yeah. the things we do. But also, like, quite literally, yes, floods are devastating because we build in the wrong places. And bushfires yeah. are devastating because we've eradicated our country's ability to recover from bushfires, which is something it's been doing for tens of thousands of years. And also with the help of First Nations people. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Like First Nations yeah. people were making sure that bushfires didn't completely wipe out the land. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, by cultivating and caring yeah. for the land in very specific ways. Uh, invasive yeah. species in agriculture have like completely decimated natural yeah. environments and are only going to continue to do so. Like rabbits. Introducing rabbits to our country, like devastating. <laughs> completely yeah. ruined like whole yeah. sections of the natural environment. That's a whole... We could talk about rabbits in Australia for a whole episode on its own. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah, I don't know. I agree and I disagree. I... <laughs> mm. Hard to say. Hard to say. <laughs> yeah, I'm not trying to think of it in that arrogance way. I'm trying to think of it in a way of, like, if the magic is so palpable mm. on this land, like, I'm trying to put myself in the position of this is a magical yeah. land. I'm in a fictional universe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, if I could... If I, as a magic person visiting this land could feel the magic around me could see it and like it's like almost like thick in the air like i do believe this is a country where like the magic exists in the stones and in the soil and in the trees and the air and the water and yeah so i can very easily see like how an entire season of fire could feel like a magical consequence of something happening to the land yeah i think that's a very valid interpretation Mm. what is magical flora like Mm -hmm. plants so australia has very interesting flora (laughs) I had some points here I guess we can discuss. I'll just quickly quick fire mm-hmm. them. Yeah, definitely. Australian native Australian native plants are fire and reproduction, desert not desolate, okay. and bush tucker. So let's have a think about those things. Okay, well yeah, one of the something that we've talked about before and that I think is something that's maybe unique to Australia, at least something that's very cool and in characteristic of Australia, is the fact that our country in terms of our flora specifically is designed to catch on fire and burn and i know that like wildfires are a part of the environment everywhere in the world but australia like we have trees that only let their seeds out post a bushfire so like you actually need the trees to catch on fire and burn in order for the next generation to be born and grow which i think is very very cool Mm -hmm. it feels like we live in a country that has like like uh, the phoenix abilities of fire and death being linked to rebirth and new life as like actually part of the dna of the country it does make the country feel very ancient too like it's evolved to such a point where it's like oh you're trying to destroy me with fire no this is actually how i (laughs) thrive (laughs) you know like it's very cool yeah (laughs) we also have just like a bunch of native trees and flora and fauna that are completely unique and distinctive to our country I have, like, notes on that more in the Mm -hmm. fauna section, because I don't know trees and plants as much. Sure. But, yeah, (laughs) we've got unique and weird plants compared to the rest of the world. I think desert not desolate. Like, we've already mentioned how the Red Mm Centre, like, this country is mostly desert, it's mostly flat plains. Mm -hmm. I think I just wanted to make it quite clear that the desert is not necessarily dead, empty space. That's often, like, how it's referred to. But the desert is teeming with life. It's its own natural ecosystem. And I think that's just very important to emphasize. Oh, yeah. I I guess I think of deserts, probably because I live here, it didn't even occur to me to say this, but mm. I think of deserts like as filled with a, the same amount of life as like a rainforest. Like I think of yeah. them as equal in terms of like biodiversity and life. Just very, mm-hmm. very different kinds of life. 
Yeah. And especially life that is like tougher, you know, mm-hmm. it's more accustomed to the harsh climates and the different changes in temperature and can last longer without water and things like that. It's very interesting to think yeah. about that from a magical point of view, right? Like imagine a tree that like, there's like, we've heard about trees in Nepal that are gravity defying, right? Or gravity defying plants or something like that. Cool. <laughs> I think we heard about that in the fourth book when Neville was reading a special plants book. Mm-hmm. Dirigibles. Dirigible plums are a one that straight away comes to me. They're the flying plums. Yeah, they're explosive. No, they fly. Yeah, explosive. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, whatever. <laughs> I thought that they well, were explo- maybe. Oh, wait, no. a dirigible anyway, is a kind I'm- of aircraft. They're <laughs> flying plums. We see them in the seventh, eighth movie. Yeah, like I can easily imagine magical plants and trees that don't mm-hmm. need water, that thrive in like harsh mm-hmm. sunlight and stuff like that. Like, yeah, interesting things. Another thing I had here is bush tucker and food and medicine. So, like, another great thing about the Australian natural landscape is that obviously there's lots of like land and plants that need to be cultivated Mm -hmm. carefully but there are also lots of trees and plants that need very little preparation to be consumed yeah Um, and that's what's like and so like i i remember vividly almost every i say every as if it's happened often but in primary school and Mm -hmm. high school like part of the school tour part of the orientation was oh these are the plants you can eat these are the ones you Mm -hmm. can't (laughs) like like that's just a part of yeah, life, I, right? Like I'm not. No, you're not crazy. crazy. Right? Um, <laughs> definitely, we would have like Indigenous Australian people come in and give talks to us. Yeah. And also, this is making it sound like our entire class was white, and there were no Indigenous Australians at our school. There were also mm. students at our school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but something that did happen is like we would have like bush tucker days where they yeah. would come in and be like, "Look, here's all of the." plants and animals that exist in like our very backyards that are that used to be a massive part of our diet here at being mm. the, the traditional custodians of the land and i, I can it, remember yeah. going on like bush walks and stuff with our school group where it's like yeah. look here's this tree and here's this plant and here's how it's part of our natural ecosystem i can distinctly being remember shown uh witchetty <laughs> grubs in primary school yeah for anyone non-Australian, witchy grubs are like these big white grubs that just sort of live in the fucking dirt and in decomposing plants. And you can just pick those bad boys up off the ground and eat them. They're great. Yeah, they're pretty tasty. You shouldn't, but you can. <laughs> you can. Yeah. Don't eat things loose in the ground, but it's fine to do. Literally the the other week when you were visiting me, we went to a botanical gardens mm-hmm. and there was plants there that you could eat. Mm-hmm. They say you can't. The signs up being like, please don't eat the plants. It's a natural yeah. botanical garden. Yeah. But <laughs> these plants yeah. are not here for you to eat, but you can eat them. <laughs> yeah. If you were in a survival scenario here in the botanical garden, delicious you eat treats. These <laughs> and I just, I just wanted to bring that up because I think a lot of the times in the Harry Potter books, we we hear about potions, ingredients, and herbology stuff that's like mm. foreign, right? Like you know that there are yeah. definitely things that are based in Britain, but there are things that are like definitely this would have had to have been imported from other parts of Europe mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I think that like Australia's doing pretty good <laughs> is what I'm trying to get yeah. to. Like, sure, there would there'd be some things we'd have to import, there'd be trade between other countries, but I think we would find a lot of, you know, local stuff here that would assist in our herb in our in our potions and spells. Like I don't think that we would need to search far to find the ingredients we need. Well, Something that I want to touch on, and like I said this before, because we're a continent and we're an island nation, we're very far away from the rest of the world. One of the things that Australia is known for is our unique environment, our unique ecosystem. The reason why it's so unique is because we're so physically distant from the rest of the world. We have a closed, separate ecosystem. Yeah. 
which has led to the evolution of a bunch of really, really unique and different animals and plants compared to the rest of the world. Yeah. And I'll touch more on that in the animal section. Which I'm ready to go to now. (laughs) Okay, I'll just touch on flora first quickly. Like, we have completely unique trees and bushes and flowers and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so I think in terms of potion ingredients, we've got to have pretty unique potion ingredients, maybe unique potions, Mm. like stuff that can only be brewed in Australia. Yeah, absolutely. I think we would do a very thriving trade shipping stuff overseas. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is very interesting. And in terms of like the evolution of magic here, especially since well, post-colonization, like you got to think it's got to start with a lot of people trying to do things the British way and then just being unable to because yeah. we don't have their shit here and they don't have our shit there. Well, in terms of real life, Australia's biggest import is coal. That is a natural resource. Mm-hmm. If we were to look at this from a magical perspective, our natural resources would be our biggest import in a magical society. And that, mm-hmm. And I'm imagining that would be things like the claws and stuff of specific magical fauna, but also magical flora for potion making and stuff like that would be huge. Or like Waratahs and Wattle and Eucalyptus. Like all of those things have got to have magical properties, right? Snow gum. Sorry, ghost gum. Ghost gum. Ghost gum. Oh, ghost gum in potions. (laughs) Hells yeah. Yeah. Gum nuts. Okay. So one thing that like, I've got ideas for magical creatures. Do you have any ideas for magical plants? Because I've only kind of got one, really. I've got one idea. Oh, I've got maybe two. You go. One idea, which is so specific, we have some coconut palms here in Australia, and Mm -hmm. I like to think that the coconut shavings or part of that coconut palm, if you were to consume that or throw it around a space, it would reveal things that are hidden, invisible things, because of possum magic. (laughs) Now, for those those who don't know, possum magic is a classic Australian children's book in which a possum is invisible and asks its... um, auntie or mother for i think it's grandmother grandmother possum ask grandmother possum possum, who's a a witch basically to help him become visible again and she makes him Mm -hmm. lamingtons with coconut on it and he can become visible again so that's just a fun little tale (laughs) (laughs) okay my ideas for magical plants first of all i was just talking about this but we have plants that grow in fire i think we should have some kind of phoenix tree that catches on fire and grows in fire (laughs) yeah i think that's sick some sort of i want a fire tree eternal tree yeah definitely flame trees yeah as they say flame trees yeah cool (laughs) (laughs) yeah i like the idea that sometimes we have spontaneous bushfires here in australia because they just start (laughs) i think it would be cool if they were started by a specific cunt tree that burned down everything else (laughs) i need to reproduce (laughs) yeah Uh, another Australian tree that this is like, whenever I think of Australia flora, this is the distinctive one for me, is a paperbark tree. Oh, yeah. Which is a kind of gum tree where the bark of the tree is like this soft, papery stuff, and you can just peel it off. You can just grab a bunch of bark and just peel it loose, and you've got a big, like, almost like a roll of paper that yeah. can actually be written on and used as paper. It should be processed a little bit, but you can just use it, like, raw off the tree. Parchment. Yeah, exactly. We used to have one of these in our backyard growing up. Do you remember? Yeah, we'd write notes on it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So they use parchment in Harry Potter, which is made out of animal skin. First of all, we haven't even talked about the logistics of that. It doesn't make any sense, but whatever. <laughs> I think it would be very cool if we had a kind of magical paper bark tree. That was how they, that's the paper that they use. Mm. Witches and wizards use paper bark for everything instead of yeah. parchment. I like that. That's nice. Yeah. That's cool. Banksia. Banksia is the fire reproducing one. Oh, okay, perfect. So Banksia would be our cunt fire tree. I mean, surely eucalyptus oil and eucalyptus stuff like that, leaves and stuff like that. Eucalyptus is definitely completely distinct to Australia because I know Mm. that a big, big issue with trying to get koalas in foreign (laughs) zoos is that koalas will only eat eucalyptus 
Eucal- the yeah. leaves from eucalyptus trees and you have to basically grow like an entire plantation of eucalyptus trees to support a population of, a, of koalas in a zoo. So Australia has incredibly strict rules about what other countries' zoos are allowed to borrow koalas because they have to prove that they can grow and sustain a food source for the koalas because otherwise they'll fucking die there mm. if anything goes wrong with shipping lanes or they can't get leaves imported from Australia. Yeah. Exported from Australia, I should say. I can definitely see eucalyptus oils being used for like sleeping drafts and stuff like that because it's a very soothing sleeping mm-hmm. stuff. Well, that's what it's used for here. Medicines and in yeah. beauty products and stuff. It's used to calm and soothe. Another really uh, cool use of eucalyptus plants and eucalyptus leaves is in some indigenous ceremonies that I have been to, I have seen they basically put eucalyptus branches and leaves in the fire to create the, the mm-hmm. smoke for the smoking ceremony. And mm-hmm. the smoke smells and feels amazing. I don't know if you've ever been to one of those, mm. but it feels so nice. It smells like, you know, usually when you're at a campfire and the smoke gets in your eyes and, and like they feel so stingy and you feel like you want to poke them out. Mm. Not at all. Like you can be bathed in all this smoke and it just feels amazing. <laughs> so yeah. definitely eucalyptus is coming in handy, <laughs> I would say. Oh, I love that. Okay. We don't really have fireplaces here, but like in yeah. Harry Potter, there's fireplaces and fires in every room. Imagine how good all of them are like eucalyptus fires. Oh, yeah. And instead of terrible bad smoke, like every house smells amazing and it's all relaxing and beautiful all the time. Yeah. Oh, we might get, we might <laughs> get a chance to touch on that later. Yeah. Maybe it, m- okay. more culture and society. Yeah. Let's get into fauna. fauna. I'm very excited to talk about magical creatures. But first of all, Australia's got fucked animals, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And... Let's go start through some of the big, most notable ones. We've got kangaroos, koalas, dingoes, sugar gliders, possums, echidnas, platypus. We've just got like a bunch of fucked weird animals. Yeah. And also birds. We've got so many birds. Yeah. Galahs, cockatoos, lorikeets, emus, and cassowaries. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've got all kinds of stuff. But I feel like we tend to draw attention to those big, like, flashy, distinctive Australian animals like emus and kangaroos. Yeah. I feel like a lot of our really really distinctly australian animals are snakes and spiders yeah reptiles (laughs) and insects are big ones yeah yes we have uh so many spiders and so many snakes that are particularly deadly compared to the rest of the world and unique to australia Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. isn't it something like nine of the ten most venomous snakes in the world are australian i think maybe seven or nine yeah that sounds right yeah yeah it's crazy. We just have, like, incredibly dangerous shit that just lives here and is just mm. loose. That being said, I don't feel in danger here when I'm walking around. Because no. a, a lot of it is just good sense. <laughs> by, mm. by it, I mean, like, how to not get killed by a dangerous animal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Something that's been touched on in other Australian podcasts that I listen to, because I like to listen to other Australian voices. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something that's definitely been touched on is... Australians have a weirdly cavalier attitude towards our deadly flora and fauna. Mm. Like, it's very common to, for example, have a bunch of outdoor furniture that's just like, oh, just be careful when you sit there because those, like, chairs and tables are full of redback spiders. Yeah, yeah. Which is an incredibly dangerous spider. (laughs) That would be, like, the equivalent of Americans being like, oh, yeah, our outdoor lawn furniture is covered in black widow spiders, but we just still sit there and use it. It's still functional furniture. (laughs) It's just covered in spiders that will kill you if they bite you. Mm -hmm. 
Like, that's not really something that happens in the rest of the world. But here it's like, oh yeah, the rock pools where we used to play as children did have blue ray octopus in them, yeah. but we still swam there. You just don't stick your hands <laughs> under the rocks or whatever. <laughs> yeah, we swim in the ocean all the time and it does have, like, great whites and blue ring octopuses mm-hmm. and box jellyfish in there. Notably, yeah. do you remember when uh, we would go in the boat on the river near our home? Mm-hmm. And um, we were swimming that river and then we found out like a couple of kilometers down the river because we'd see signs saying, do not swim in the river. There's bull sharks in there. Yeah. <laughs> like bull sharks, like if you don't know this about sharks, great whites are given a lot of bad rap, but bull sharks mm-hmm. are a lot, a lot more dangerous and territorial and aggressive than a great white. A great yeah. white is like just a big puppy dog, basically. Yeah. Um. <laughs> a great white is just like a big animal that doesn't give a shit about you or anything about you. Bull sharks are like how great whites act in movies. Yeah. <laughs> They have a personality and it's a cunt. That's what I mean. Yeah. Like the Jaws shark, Bruce from Jaws, who like actively hates everyone and wants to kill them. That's a bull shark. They're small and they live in rivers and they want to kill you specifically. (laughs) And I can off the top of my head think of at least three rivers that I used to swim in as a child that just had bull sharks in them. Yeah. And it's just like, well, if you see one, get out of the water. <laughs> At our high school, we had a river that we used for swimming classes because we went to a public school. Yeah, that's school. one of the rivers. <laughs> yeah, we went to a public school. And it was, yeah, full of bull sharks and stingrays. I vivid- and stingrays. vividly remember doing kayaking in that river for sport once and a child putting his oar in the river like a spatula under a pancake and lifting mm-hmm. a stingray and flinging it out of the water. Mm. Like, <laughs> and everyone was just like, oh, don't do that. <laughs> like, if, yeah. like you said, cavalier. <laughs> Yeah, leave it alone, man. Yeah. I can vividly remember going and doing swimming lessons for high school in that river yeah, yeah. right around the time that Steve Irwin famously died from a stingray yeah. and being like, okay, so there's stingrays in the river in our usual swimming place today, so we're going to swim 20 meters down from there. Don't go where the stingrays are. Yeah. <laughs> like, famously, he had just died from a stingray and, like, the next day at school, it's like, okay, get in the stingray-infested waters, children. Yeah. I remember being vividly yeah. told, like, yeah, the stingray's in the water, so remember, if you get stung, don't pull the barb out, because that's what kills you. All right, kids, in yeah. the water. Leave it in there. <laughs> like, <laughs> leave it in and we'll get to a hospital. <laughs> it's as simple as that, just don't pull it out. Come on, Jeremy, yeah. wake up. <laughs> Wait. Okay, enough about our memories of animals. Okay. okay. I want to talk briefly on the canon Australian animals. Sure. Because we have very few of them. The first one is my favorite, and I think it rocks, uh, the Billy Wig. Yeah. I've mentioned this guy before. He's an insect about half an inch long, vivid sapphire blue, extremely quick so muggles don't see him. He's got a long stinger, and when he stings you, you get giddy and levitate. Yeah. Aussie teens like to get stung on purpose because it's basically like getting high. But if you do it too much, you can get ho- you can end up hovering for days. Yeah. They're believed to be an ingredient fizzing whizbies, and I love this fucked up little bug. I think that's yeah. perfect for Australia. Uniquely venomous, silly, stupid. Great. It feels perfect. almost personal. Like, <laughs> that feels, yeah. it feels like a personal attack that that is so perfect for Australia. Yeah. It's like a bug oh, that you makes you it. high. <laughs> bug that gets you high. We love to sting ourselves with it on purpose. Like, yeah. It feels too real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It feels like JK looked into the soul of an Australian teenager and pulled that out. Yeah, it's awful. <laughs> Uh, I I think we want to talk about this one in more detail, but the only that we know of Native Australian dragon is the Antipodean or Antipodian. Okay. I don't know how to say that word. Uh, the Opali dragon, uh, okay. which is actually not native to Australia. It's a New Zealand dragon, <laughs> which migrates here in search of territory. Okay, then why even bother that? Yeah, <laughs> it's not even exactly. Australian. 
but it's apparently inspired by the rainbow serpent, Ooh, which I want to talk okay. about more, right. which is an Australian Dreamtime myth. Okay. So this is a New Zealand dragon. Uh, lives in valleys, not mountains, which is unique among dragons. One of the most beautiful dragons for its pearly scales and glittering multicolored eyes. So it's not even it's like not an rainbow. opal dragon. It's like a white dragon. Yeah, no pupils, not aggressive. It rarely kills except when hungry and it eats mostly sheep. It is loyal and the least dangerous and deadly kind of dragon. It's inspired by the rainbow serpent, I, which I don't like. I don't like that. It's not, it's not it. It's not it for me. Rainbow yeah. serpent, I'm a big fan. Anyway. Okay. I definitely want to talk more about the rainbow serpent because we'll get, let's talk about that when we talk about our head cannons for Australian yeah. magical creatures. But that's just touching on what's canon. So uh, the Letherfold, which is the eagle, evil cloak that kills you in your sleep. But they're not just... They're not just Australian, oh, okay. they're tropical, but That's they are in Australia. So <laughs> won't dwell on that. And then in our oceans, we have the remora, which is a giant fish, and sea serpents. They're just That's in the cool. oceans around yeah. us. And then there are the magical animals that are found worldwide. The ones that I agree with that are in Australia, Ashwinder, yeah, kind of fire, fire snake, yeah. fire salamander, fire lizard. Yeah. I've written bigs here. What is a big? I don't know what that <laughs> says. <laughs> Very oh, All the ones that are bugs and fish. That's what right. I mean. All the ones that are bugs and fish, that's fine. Fairies, I think we sure. have fairies. Here are the ones that I disagree with. Measles, Australia doesn't have cats. Yep. Winged horses, we don't have horses. Yep. Moon calf, we don't have any kind of like hoofed cow no, animal native to Australia. No. Werewolves, we don't have wolves unless you count dingoes. No, really, yeah. yeah, so I don't, unless we have were dingoes, I don't think we have werewolves native to Australia. They can be introduced, yep. obviously. Okay. Yep. Okay. So let's talk about headcanon. Okay, so I've got some <laughs> points here that we can consider. So the mythology mm-hmm. of the dreaming, cryptids. Yep. So like classic Australian mm-hmm. cryptids, um, Australian yep. native animals, and then maybe their va- magical variations. Mm-hmm. Introduced species and such as pests. Introduced mm-hmm. species from historical immigration of populations. Consider China, Indonesia, and New Zealand. Yeah. So let's have a think. <laughs> okay, I was looking mostly at like what I think is native Australian because mm. introduced species we can just be like, yeah, stuff has come from anywhere. But Australia does have like very well, recently, because we fucked up. Mm. Australia has very strict policies about what can be introduced because we're trying to minimize invasive species. Because we have such a unique unique environment, invasive species are completely devastating yeah. here. Yeah. So we have to be really strict about what's allowed in, and we have very strict customs and immigration policies in terms of what you can and can't bring into the country. Yeah. Something that I was thinking about in terms of native australian animals and this is getting more into the history side of things so we'll put kind of a pin in it but uh the international statute of secrecy was in place before australia was discovered yeah so before australia was colonized yeah before australia was colonized yeah sorry when i say discovered i mean by white people because obviously it existed before that what if when like colonizers first came here when the first fleet when captain cook's ships first showed up here and they found a bunch of fucking wild animals what if a lot of them were just magical animals like what if Mm. a platypus is just a magic animal (laughs) but there was no statute of secrecy here keeping them hidden Mm. so white settlers rocked up and they're like what's this fucked up little i don't know ocean (laughs) send it back yeah what is this because that's literally what happened they sent it back home to british scientists and they're like this is fake shut up (laughs) yeah this is fake this isn't a real animal like yeah when people heard about like kangaroos and things they're like no those animals don't exist they're impossible they can't exist Mm. so what if things like echidnas and platypus who are monotremes and they are the only mammals that like lay eggs yeah 
what if they are just magical animals that just couldn't be hidden by the magical community quickly enough before muggles found out about them look it's a fair point it's a fair point indeed like because <laughs> when you think about yeah. some of the skills of magical magical creatures they are things like oh yeah they're venomous but they're like a little mole thing and mm-hmm. it's like well yeah that's a platypus it's like you yeah. know it's it's aquatic but it's also a little mammal monotreme thing that lays mm-hmm. eggs and is venomous like and it has yeah. and it can send out electrical pulses to see <laughs> like it's, it's it does sound yeah. insane when you, when you say it like that it lays eggs and then feeds its young milk. It, yeah, closes its eyes and then sees with electricity <laughs> underwater. It's got a duck bill and a beaver tail and it looks like a big rat. It's got webbed feet and it's got a venomous barb. And it's adorable and it loves people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm convinced this is a magical creature. <laughs> yeah, look, you're right. You're right to say it and you should say it. Yeah. Uh. So in terms of magical creatures, like a ton of the... British magical creatures are like, hey, this is like a normal bird, but it's venomous. I think a ton of our snakes and spiders are just magical snakes and spiders. It's yeah. like, hey, take a regular spider, make it bigger, aggressive, and super venomous. That's a fucking what are they called? Funnel web. Funnel web. Yeah, that's a funnel web. Baby. <laughs> I know exactly who you're talking. About. Yeah, you know exactly who I literally. Mean. I can this see motherfucker. the en- <laughs> I can see the entry in like like what is it called fucking magical creatures and where to find them fantastic beasts fantastic and where, to find, where them. to find them it's like oh this australian spider likes to hide in unawaring sho- unaware people's shoes and like yeah. bite anyone who puts their foot in there that's literally what they do they hide in yeah. shoes they hide in shoes yeah. and they bite you when you stick your feet in so you got to bang your shoes on the door frame to shake them out before you put your shoes on <laughs> if you leave your shoes outside like a fuckwit never leave your yeah. shoes outside that's how the spiders get in them <laughs> yeah, yeah. It really does seem like that. Really just like, this is a regular spider, but it's three times the size of a regular spider, super aggressive, will rear up and run at you, and like ten times as dangerous in terms of... And it's got like ten times the amount of venom a regular spider should have. That's just like, that's just what magical beasts are. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Yeah. I'd like to think a little bit about magical variations of native animals, though. Yes. Something that like maybe people don't know. There is an Australian creature from the Dreaming called a bunyip and also mm-hmm. a yowie. Yes. So the, these are when two I say, distinct animals. When I say the Dreaming, by the way. Oh yeah, we should explain yeah. the Dreaming as well. So the Dreaming is the First Nations people's understanding of the world and its creation. Mm-hmm. So it's passed from generation through generation through storytelling and shares beliefs that are connected to country and the natural world. So it's quite often that, like in the modern Australia today, you'll hear Dreaming stories about why natural things are the way yeah. they are why kangaroos have tails yes why all the birds are muted in color and stuff mm-hmm. like that how the birds got their colors sorry yeah like all the, these sorts of things the dreaming is the indigenous australian creation myth and like auditory history it's like it's mm-hmm. their folklore their mythology their stories and it's still going it's still going yeah yeah so <laughs> yowies and bunyips yowies and bunyips are creatures from the dreaming Bunyips are basically, it's hard to describe because there's lots of different descriptions of what they look like, but they are Mm -hmm. water-based creatures. They can be benevolent, they can be malevolent, and similarly with bunyips, except they're not Mm -hmm. water-based creatures. They're sort of like, a bunyip's kind of like an Australian Bigfoot, sort of. Um, Yeah, sorry. Yowie, sorry. A yowie's like an Australian Bigfoot. I should, yeah, okay. So how I've Mm -hmm. always pictured it is a bunyip is kind of like platypus-esque because it's water-based and a yaoi is more kangaroo-esque because I picture it as moving quite quickly over land. So that's just how I've always pictured them. (laughs) So yeah, like you said, bunyips are very varied. 
Yeah. Sorry. I think bunyips might actually be different in terms of different places in Australia and different, like, dreamings that they come from. I've heard yeah. them described as anything from, like, big frogs to, like, hippopotamus-type creatures. But they mm-hmm. are definitely some sort of aquatic creature. And like you said, they can be, like, dangerous and they kill you and eat your blood or whatever. Or they can be completely benevolent and they grant a wish or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we definitely have some kind of mysterious bunyip creature. <laughs> and a yowie, I've heard, once again, anything from, like, a possum-sized thing to a full-on humanoid, like, six-foot-tall hairy ape thing. It is definitely, yeah. it's our answer to the Bigfoot. It's our local Sasquatch yeah. is a yowie. So I definitely like to think of, like, a bigger platypus sort of, like, creature for a bunyip mm-hmm. and a bigger uh, magical version of a kangaroo for a yowie. That's what yeah. I like to think of in my brain. But artistic liberty. I'd love to see other people's interpretations. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. I love the bunyip and the yowie. I've got more Dreamtime animals that I think we can talk about. Let's go. Let's hear about it. Well, yeah, let's start with the rainbow serpent, because I think mm-hmm. we both want to have a native Australian dragon. Yeah. And let's talk about the rainbow serpent. We were just talking about the Dreamtime. I love the rainbow serpent. Would you like to hear the Dreamtime story of the rainbow serpent? Just to give, also to give our listeners like an example of what Dreamtime stories are like. Yeah, I'd love to hear that. Okay, so this is a couple of paragraphs long, so it'll take a minute, but just listen to this beautiful story. (laughs) The Rainbow Serpent. Long ago, in the dream time, when the earth lay sleeping and nothing moved or grew, lived the Rainbow Serpent. Then one day, the Rainbow Serpent awoke and came out from beneath the earth. Refreshed from her long slumber, she travelled far and wide, leaving winding tracks from her huge body and then returning to the place she had first appeared. On her return, she called out to the frogs, "'Come out!' The frogs come out slowly, as their bellies were full of water which they had stored during their long sleep. The rainbow serpent tickled their stomachs, and when the frogs laughed, the water spilled out all over the earth to fill the tracks of the rainbow serpent. This is how the lakes and the rivers were first formed. With water, grass and trees began to grow, which woke all the animals who then followed the rainbow serpent across the land. They were happy on earth, and each lived and gathered food with their own tribe. Some animals lived in rocks, some on the vast plains, and others in the trees and in the sky. The Rainbow Serpent made, made laws which they were all to obey, but some began to make trouble and argue. The Rainbow Serpent said, Those who keep my laws will be rewarded, I will give them human form. Those who break my laws will be punished and turned to stone and will never walk the earth again. Those who broke the law became stone and were turned into mountains and hills. And those who were obedient were turned into human form, and were each given their own totem of the animal, bird, or reptile from where they began. The tribes knew themselves by their totems, kangaroo, emu, carpet snake, and many, many more. So no one would starve. The rainbow serpent ruled that no man would eat of his totem, but only of other totems. That way there was food for everyone. The tribes lived together on the land given to them by the rainbow serpent or mother of life, and knew the land would always be there, so no one could ever take it from them. So this is a story, it's like a creation myth, basically. And mm-hmm. the rainbow serpent is the origin of rivers and life and animals in the country. Yeah. I okay. love her. I love, I love her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've heard the rainbow serpent referred to as both male, female, and neither, but I've mm. mostly heard them referred to as female, so I tend to use she yeah. her pronouns for the rainbow serpent. I like to use a mix of all of them, and especially they, them pronouns, because I also know the rainbow serpent is very closely associated with first nations people that are queer so hells yes and there's lots of identification with um sister boys and brother girls and the rainbow serpent so i think it's very cool to use they them she her he his pronouns interchangeably with the rainbow yeah. serpent yeah rainbow serpent. for all of us 
Rainbow <laughs> Serpent, beautiful, powerful, magical. Yeah. As far as I know, the most important like creation myth and creation figure in Australia in in uh, indigenous dreaming. But I I'm not an expert in dreaming. There might be others. Certainly one of the most iconic and important ones. Yeah. Yeah. So building from that and like building from mythology and turning it into Harry Potter, which is what JK does. Let's make a cool <laughs> rainbow dragon that we get to have. <laughs> Basically, long serpent-like dragon that's aquatic is mm-hmm. what I'm picturing. And obviously colourful. Colourful. Really colourful. You know how like when you look at light, like an invisible light, it's sort of rainbow? Is that right? Iridescent. That iridescent light. Mm. But also, like, sometimes when light refra- refracts through something, it's rainbow. That's how we get rainbows in the sky. Yeah. That's how I imagine it. Like, sometimes you can't even behold the rainbow serpent. They're just so s- stunning, <laughs> you know? Well, what I was thinking was opals are native to Australia as well, aren't they? Like, opals don't occur anywhere else. If not native, they're certainly iconic yeah. in Australia. I thought opals only um, existed in Australia or came from here. Whatever. I don't know. Opal mines are a massive thing in the Australian desert. So I kind of like the idea that the scales of our rainbow dragon are like opal. Mm -hmm. So like dark, either very dark or very like pure bright white and filled with little flecks of all the different kinds of colors. I think that's what the rainbow dragon looks like. Yeah, definitely lives in rivers and lakes. So probably not way out in the desert, probably more around the edges of Australia and in the coast. I think they move around. I think she yeah. just goes where she goes. Travels yeah. the entire country. Yeah. Yeah. And I think probably, like, I was thinking of the opal eye dragon in canon that feeds on sheep. Well, we don't have sheep native here. So I think it feeds on a lot of, like, fish and bugs and frogs and lizards and things like that. Yeah. All sorts of stuff. Yeah. And hibernates for a yeah. long time in the water. Yeah. And I think he's definitely benevolent as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Friendly, rainbow, beautiful, rainbow serpent. Cool. So <laughs> I, lo- I love her. <laughs> I- I've been very distinctive about calling it the rainbow dragon because I don't want to call it the rainbow serpent. <laughs> I want to call her the rainbow serpent. <laughs> well, the rainbow serpent is a real thing from the dreaming. I'm trying to make up a fake dragon that exists oh, in Harry Potter okay. world. <laughs> okay. I don't want to say it's it's the rainbow serpent because that feels appropriate. <laughs> okay, fair. Okay, fair. Yeah. If this is a dragon inspired by the Rainbow Serpent. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about some other animals. So the other creature from the Australian Dreaming that I think would be relevant in terms of Harry Potter magical creatures is the Yaramiyahu, which is mm-hmm. our Australian vampire. Yeah. And these aren't like cool Dracula sort of vampires. <laughs> our, they're cooler. <laughs> they're, they're much, much cooler, <laughs> but much less sexy. <laughs> Yeah. So they are little, like, little red goblin men. I'm holding up my hands to indicate the size of them, but listeners, you cannot see. <laughs> they're small, they're little, like, I think three foot at the most. Uh, mm-hmm. Red, like, goblin men with frog-like appearances. They live up in trees, especially in fig trees. They have octopus uh, suckers on their hands, and they drop down out of the trees, grab a hold of you, Uh, drink all of your blood through the suckers in their hands and then Mm -hmm. when you pass out from blood loss they swallow you whole take a big nap and usually a big drink of water and then a big nap and then when they wake (laughs) up from their nap they spit you out whole and you are smaller and redder and if that happens to you too many times you become a yaramiyahu i love these motherfuckers yeah Yeah, they're great they're great (laughs) perfect (laughs) 
no notes. <laughs> they just exist. We've got <laughs> they're, them. They're there. <laughs> Don't fall asleep under a tree. You might get et by Yarmy Yar- Yahoo. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, cryptids. Cryptids. Classic Australian cryptid is the drop bear. Mm-hmm. It's basically an evil koala, mm-hmm. like evil tree bear that will just drop down on you and kill you. Kill you. you. Yeah. Yeah. Bite that you, take right. apart. Yeah. <laughs> that seems right. We've definitely got drop bears. I love if they sort of live amongst koalas and are disguised as koalas, but are not koalas. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to offer another alternative, uh, trapdoor bears. Similar, but it's just a wombat version. Oh, fuck <laughs> yes. Trapdoor bears is so good. Like a trapdoor spider. God, you're hilarious. Because yeah. <laughs> you know how when you're in the bush and they always say you need to stomp so the snakes mm-hmm. stay away from you? Imagine like you stomp too hard or you stomp on a trapdoor bear's trapdoor and mm-hmm. it just <laughs> it just comes up and pulls you down. Love the idea of eating. getting pulled into a hole in the ground by a terrible wombat. <laughs> Drop bears from the trees and trapdoor bears from below. Fuck yes. <laughs> Australia's great. What a great country. Everyone should live here. <laughs> uh, other cryptids we have is uh, the the panthers. Do you know about these? Uh, wait, no, I don't. <laughs> what are these? Oh, no. <laughs> I thought I did, but I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> okay, I've heard them called uh, both the Otway's panther and the Blue Mountains panther. So Blue Mountains are a place in New South Wales and the Otways are like a national park down in Victoria. So two separate places in Australia. There have been at least 30 years worth of sightings of panthers living there. Just a fucking group of panthers loose in the wild. (laughs) There have been several investigations into this by like scientists, law enforcement, the government. There's no record of real panthers living there, but (laughs) the rumor persists today that there are loose panthers (laughs) So Interesting. I think it's cool if we've got like some kind of demiguise type panther. Yeah, that just, I was about to say. Yeah, like either they turn invisible or they teleport blink panthers, you know. Yeah. I think it's cool if we've got a native Australian panther <laughs> that lives in I our think, mountains yeah. and our national parks. Also, if we're going to talk about demiguise, like I've got here in my notes, introduced species from historical immigration. We know that especially in the mid 1800s, there was a huge immigration to Australia from China. Mm hmm. The demiguise is a Chinese um, mythical creature, right? Magical creature? Uh, I'm not sure off the top of my head. Let me just triple check that. I'm pretty sure in Fantastic Beasts it says it's a Chinese creature. Native to Far East. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that that could be a place. Anywhere. Look, well, the Far it's East. It's from somewhere in Asia. We don't know. <laughs> it might be China. <laughs> far East does sound like code for China. Because that is part of Eastern Asia. Anyway, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, if it was from China. And we have that Chinese immigration in the mid-1800s. Imagine if demigeysers came across some magical panthers and there was crossbreeding and now we have invisible magical panthers. <laughs> like, Love the idea of that. Yeah. I said earlier that Australia doesn't have native cats. I would love this to be the exception. Like, we don't think we have native cats because they're invisible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Another one I want to put forward. Um, dingoes, but they can talk. Yep, talking dingoes, perfect. Love that. Yeah. (laughs) What I like about that is that often, like, a trickster spirit in folklore is whatever kind of fucked up dog a place has. Like, coyotes, foxes, those things are often, like, tricksters. I would like it if dingoes were that for Australia. Jackals. Yeah. Jackals. Yeah, yeah, that's another one. Uh, The other 
like well-known Australian cryptid that I have is the Hawkesbury River Monster. Do you know this guy? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Why don't you know any cryptids? I feel like I live and breathe these guys. <laughs> okay. So the Hawkesbury River is in New South Wales, also known as the Mooney Mooney Monster. Anecdotal <laughs> sightings of this mystic cryptid creature were reported in the 1800s, so when wow. we first colonised. Although Aboriginal rock art in the region describing a similar creature known as the Mooliwonk dates back more than 3,000 years. Wow. So this guy's legit. He's been around. He's basically our Loch Ness Monster. Oh, excellent. But instead of being like a plesiosaur type thing, he's a giant eel. Oh, fantastic huge huge like sea serpent level um eel all gray uh and he does have flippers and a tail love this guy i love that (laughs) he's perfect swimming goanna is a way he's been described fuck yeah perfect (laughs) i'd like to also petition for an australian mermaid Mm -hmm. but h2o just started water style where like they can walk on land but the instant they get wet they have to go dive in the water because they're going to turn into a mermaid (laughs) very cool I was going to argue for, so we know that in Harry Potter, there are like, so the mermaids, they have a picture. I'm not going to describe it. Picture the ones that appear in the fourth movie. They're like the Irish Celtic sort of mermaids where they're like Kelpie and they're gray. What I would like is if we had tropical Great Barrier Reef mermaids. I want bright colors fitting in with the coral, venomous. (laughs) Yeah, that's the kind of mermaid yeah. I want. Like a lionfish style tail. Very cool. Definitely. That's what I want for like, um, what's the fucking, the Grindylows? How the Grindylows are like all dark mm-hmm. and creepy. I want that, but like beautiful, colorful, venomous, startling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I want for our Great Barrier Reef. And, yeah. and then like H2O mermaids yeah. that just... Tropical versions like, of the like no. Irish, British ones that we see in the series. Yeah. Also, be very cool if we had river mermaids that were like platypus typey mermaids. Yeah, like a selkie. Like a selkie. Like a platypus vibe. Yeah. yeah. Platypus selkie, yeah. very good. Yeah, nice. Okay. While we're talking on like variations of things from Harry Potter series, uh, phoenixes in Harry Potter are native to Africa. I want to argue that they're native to Australia as well. I want to give us yeah. a fucking firebird. Yeah, definitely we have a variation of the phoenix. It makes sense. Yeah. We should have an Australian phoenix. I want a bird that catches fire. That's perfect for our country. Yeah. Yeah. Also, uh, we are supposed to have fairies because fairies are worldwide. In Australia, we have gumnut babies. Yeah. Which are like tiny little babies that have gumnuts, which are kind of native Australian nut flower thing. They wear as hats and they like Mm. frolic in the plants and have little mischievous adventures. I think our fairies should be gumnut babies. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah i like that <laughs> yeah google gumnut yeah. babies if you don't know what i talk i'm talking about they're like yeah. a children's story yeah famously i dressed up as one when i was a baby it was very yeah cute. famously we all know that <laughs> we all know this <laughs> yeah i'd like I to dress as the southern cross when you dress as a gumnut baby <laughs> that was for our australian themed party dad dressed as a fly <laughs> i don't know what mom dressed as maybe mom came as like the flag or something i don't know Maybe, actually, maybe mum was dressed as Southern Cross and I was dressed as something else. <laughs> hmm. hmm. Can't remember now. You were definitely a gumnut yeah, baby. Yeah, I was a baby. Anyway, um... you were a baby. I would like to put forward a petition for some kind of creature that's a mimic. Because famously in Australia, mm. we have a liar bird. A liar bird is... Liar bird. One of our fucked up birds that basically... Mm-hmm. Part of its mating ritual is it mimics impressive sounds to try and impress a mate and attract a mate. Mm -hmm. And so what will often happen is if you're trapsing through the bush, like (laughs) stomping through the bush to make sure you don't attract any snakes, is you might hear a cell phone go off. 
<laughs> but it's not a cell phone. It's a liar bird because it's just heard a cell phone yeah. play before and it copies that sound to attract a mate. It's very impressive. I love that they go out looking for cool sounds. Yeah. 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 Very good. And also, if you've never heard these things like YouTube liar bird calls, yeah. they perfectly mimic sounds. <laughs> It's the spookiest shit you've ever seen. Like, imagine a bird opens its mouth and, like, a fucking YouTube ad promo comes out. <laughs> like, it's literally. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely They're terrifying. Some sort of bird that mimics you, but I think a bunch of other creatures, like insects, maybe even humanoid-looking creatures that are, like, little mimics. Mm. Terrifying. I want to put forward for our magical liar bird, a bird that doesn't mimic, it steals your voice. Oh, good. So, like, if you, yeah. Perfect. If you fuck, if you fuck around. <laughs> if you fuck around, you find like, out. this bird will take your voice and you won't be able to say that specific phrase the bird stole from you anymore. Oh, God. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Love that. Yeah. You would have to use non-verbal spells to defeat it, because if you say the spell name out loud, it takes the word, and you can't say that word That anymore. makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's very yeah. cool. Yeah, nice. Do Australia have some sort of, like, man that comes out of the dark and gets you? Like, do we have anything like that? Like, I'm thinking, like, a rake or a hollow <laughs> like man a or slender, slender man. man or something, or, yeah. I don't think so. I think those are more of a modern Look. type of cryptid. Oh, actually, no, like a skinwalker or something. Sure, sure. I mean, that to me, just a man in the dark or something creepy coming out of the dark, that's what it's like to be in the bush at night. Yeah. (laughs) You know, when you're walking around the bush at night and you look up into the sky and you see what seems to be like a CD opener opening and there's this big light in the sky and then it just goes away? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Sometimes you're walking around the bush and you see a man. You're like, oh, there's a man up there. And then he turns into a tree. And you're like, okay. Okay. (laughs) I like tree man. Tree man I'm interested in. Uh, Yeah, I don't think we really have like skinwalkers or anything. I don't think we have like mimic people. I'm looking for like fake humanoid people. I don't think we have that. We've got yaoi's, but that's the closest to it. We've most got animals and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I like the idea of having some skinwalkers though, or maybe like men that turn into trees or like some sort of dark shadowy creature that turns into a tree like a hide behind mm. vibe but more like a shapeshifter hide behind, yeah yeah i think men that turn into trees is good because i know that in the dreaming there are all kinds of stories of like people who turn into trees or trees who turn into people or people who turn into animals or animals who turn into people like that's yeah. a really really common part of creation myths is animals and trees becoming people and vice versa like yeah. it was in the rainbow serpent story that i just read out and nora and the black crane he turns yeah into exactly a crane. yeah Oh yeah, black crane's got to be part of our. We've got to yeah. have a native animal. Uh, yeah, that, magical. That dreaming black story crane. always terrified me. To be honest, if you want to, deeply terrifying. If you want to look up something terrifying, look up Anora and the black crane. Um, yeah, that's the closest to a horror story the dreaming has. <laughs> uh, um, I want to put forward some kind of big shark because we've got great mm-hmm. whites and I love them. I want megalodons to still be around in the Australian yeah. Great Bite where the sharks live. Oh, I didn't even think megafauna. You know how megafauna yeah, was megafauna here prehistorically? Yeah, megafauna as well. Just like yeah. massive wombats. Mm-hmm. I reckon they're still around. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So uh, in Australia, one thing that our native animals don't have is we don't have big, big native animals. The biggest we've got is like a kangaroo or an emu or something. And they're like human Whereas- size. They're like human size, but other countries have things like moose and buffalo and horse yeah. and ca- like they've got big animals, hippos, elephants. We don't have yeah. any of those. We've got small, scuttly little animals. 
but we used to have megafauna we used to have giant sloths giant mm. wombats like big big animals i think it would be cool if those guys were still around yeah i think i've read before that there is history that like first nations people did hunt and work with these animals these huge yeah. megafauna like that's just insane to me like that's prehistory that's so long ago but there's yeah, apparently depictions and oral histories of it like it's it's crazy like how long this is true. first nations people have been here <laughs> this like, is what we were talking about longest surviving culture we have like art and yeah. oral histories of hunting and eating ancient megafauna wombats and stuff yeah it's australia's incredible. got so much cool history <laughs> I think we can talk a little bit about introduced species. Like, obviously, the the best mm-hmm. example here is what were we trying to get rid of that we introduced the rabbits, rabbits, cane toads. Those we, are the what was two the original thing we were trying to get rid of? Maybe feral cats and dogs or something like yeah. that. Yeah, it would have just been like the settle the settle the colonizer ships came over. They would have had cats, dogs, rats, yeah. all of their stock animals, cows and goats and yeah. shit, all that stuff. So all these feral cats and dogs, and obviously the rabbits, just bred like rabbits and mm-hmm. destroyed the environment, the agriculture, and the natural environment because they and didn't so, have any natural predators. Because no. our predator animals are all like snakes and spiders and shit and dingoes. Yeah. We don't have anything that really takes out native cats and dogs. Oh, not native. Yeah. Invasive cats and dogs. So what the uh, colonizers decided to do was introduce cane toes to get rid of the rabbits and poison them, mm-hmm. but it didn't work. <laughs> no. And so now we have a bunch of fucking cane toes investing the land as well. So mm-hmm. I think about that in a magical context too. Like there's definitely got to be some introduced magical species that have just fucking taken over. I think a big mm-hmm. one would be Cornish pixies, to be honest. I could definitely see yeah, that. Yeah, I can see pixies taking off here. Yeah. Although I can also see them getting absolutely torn apart by birds. I think we have mm. cool native birds. We haven't so touched like on owls as well. We've got to do that. Land-based sort of things. Mm-hmm. Like um, those little gnomes or whatever they are. Yeah. Many of our native animals are like little marsupial type things, like possums. Yeah. Anything that can fit in with those is going to be okay. Yeah. So that's just something to consider. But yeah. that's all I have on fauna. Well, I think we should touch on birds because neither of us like talking about birds. I think we <laughs> definitely have some kind of evil cassowary. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe contra- uh, conversely, we have a good cassowary because cassowaries <laughs> are already evil. Benevolent. <laughs> cassowaries are just magical creatures that, again, yeah. cross that cross that divide between magic and human. Yeah. <laughs> uh, something, I just got to touch on this because it just happened. We recently got beautiful fan art, which I lost my fucking mind over, which <laughs> yeah. one of our favorite pieces was us talking about the cassowaries and how evil they are. And that brought up that conversation that we had. And then, like you said, we went to the botanical gardens when we recently had a visit and there was a statue of a cassowary there that was the size mm-hmm. of a human. And I'm like, oh, why did they make a giant cassowary statue? <laughs> and all of you were like, no, that's how big a cassowary is. They're and massive. I almost died of fear. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I was under the impression that a cassowary was about the size of like a real life velociraptor, like a big dog. No. I thought they were small. Well, first of all, velociraptors were bigger than dogs. <laughs> no, yeah, but like a velociraptor <laughs> is like a big turkey sort of thing. Sure, but. Like a Labrador is how big I thought a cassowary was. They're like the size of a human. Yeah, they're like a little bit smaller than emus, but yeah, I've seen them in real life. They're scary. They're big. Yeah. Um, I also have, but I guess I just wiped it out of my brain because it was too terrifying. (laughs) Yeah. So definitely they're just a magical creature. Yeah. They just are. (laughs) Just that evil bird that kills children. Yeah. That's an evil, that's a magical creature. We we shouldn't say, uh, they're not evil. 
<laughs> We're just scared they are of them. evil. <laughs> They're very important for the environment, Rio. <laughs> every every animal's beautiful and perfect, and some of them are evil. That's fine. <laughs> crocodiles aren't evil. Cassowaries are. Oh, we haven't even brought up crocodiles. They're like yeah. I, when dinosaur. I was talking about, I want a cool shark. I got distracted because you immediately went into megalodon. <laughs> But I was saying maybe a giant crocodile would be more iconic. Mm-hmm. I kind of want the crocodiles but, to be friendly as well. Yeah. Yeah. I really love the idea that there are a couple of megafauna crocodiles around, like big, like 30 yeah. or 50 foot crocodiles, but there's maybe only like two or three left in the country. And they're purple. Why are they purple? Why not? I just like the okay. idea of a big purple crocodile. All right. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I feel like... I feel like I'm remembering a movie with a giant crocodile that's friendly, but I might be going crazy. <laughs> I love giant crocodile. Okay. Owls. That's what I want to talk about. So sure. owls deliver the mail in Harry Potter. <laughs> what do we think about that? <laughs> <laughs> Look, we do have some owls that are native to Australia, mm-hmm. but I think honestly, probably magpies are probably smarter and would probably be the yeah. more optional one, especially for the Eastern coast. Yeah, we don't have a lot of owls around here. I don't know if there was a lot of owls in Britain, but she decided to go for it. I definitely think a magpie is a far more intelligent bird yeah. and a better choice. And they more are aggressive. Also They'll protect the male. <laughs> very aggressive, so hard to get the male from them. They're known for, once again, swooping people and taking out the eyes of children. <laughs> Why has this happened? There's like a thing where in swooping season, which is when the magpies are nesting and they will swoop you if you go near their nests, it's like a common thing to wear a hat with big googly eyes on the back because they attack you from behind. So if you've got eyes all over your head, they don't swoop you. But sometimes they still do swoop you, so you've got to be careful. (laughs) Yeah, I've seen it happen at least six times in the last week, someone being swooped while I'm sitting in my car. (laughs) Yeah, in the last week. (laughs) Yeah, literally, it's swooping season here. Yeah. So it would not be unusual to see magpies flying around all the place, swooping things. And they're also known for stealing shit. Because mm-hmm. they do that. They do the crow thing where they take cool, shiny stuff. Yeah. So seeing a magpie flying around with a letter during the day is like, oh yeah, whatever. <laughs> it stole it, I guess. I also think we wouldn't be showy. We wouldn't have big parchment letters. Because remember, we got paper bark. I imagine we have yeah. little tiny scrolls that are just attached to their That's feet. That's what I'm thinking. Like it rolls up like paper bark does when you leave it out in the sun. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, much more subtle. <laughs> yeah, I think small, thin scrolls that you can attach to birds' legs. And then if you need to, you can expand them with magic. Yeah, yeah, easy. Uh, yeah, so that's what I think is our male bird. We'll probably get more into that when we talk about culture. I also like but... to think, just this is my thing, I like to think that also they're not really like domesticated. Like no one owns a magpie and uses it to send letters. I think you just go out and you have to attract one. You just have to summon one. <laughs> I like that as well. They're not trained. They're just... Okay, so we know there's a magical tra- chain of being and owls are like the most intelligent and they know the secret language of names and they can understand us and stuff. <laughs> I like the idea that magpies in Australia are very, very intelligent and like you can bargain with them. Yeah. Like, I'll give you this sick button if you take this letter to my nan. Yeah. Yeah, that that's sort of thing. Like, yeah. you've got to strike a deal. Literally, yeah. They've got their own bird economy. Yeah, and so that's why I think sending letters to each other is um, not as common as it is in, in, in Britain, because you kind of have to bargain with a bird to do it. Yeah. I really like that. I'm, <laughs> strike a deal with this bird. <laughs> I'm getting swindled by the magpies. <laughs> $69 readers for one letter. <laughs> 
Oh, also, our magical currency is dollar dues. Let's be real. Yeah, of course it's not. Although, is there a better name than nuts? <laughs> oh, God. Do we have more in Fauna? animals uh that's everything that i've got on fauna i feel like i could just sit here and come up yeah. with dumb stupid magic animals forever i feel like we've already been talking about this for about half an hour we should move yeah. on please send us the fan art we'll continue okay <laughs> <laughs> i would like to finish up with a few points here how has the land been shaped pre and post colonization so mm-hmm. just s- some things to consider the colonial fear of the australian landscape and nature where yeah. is magic now in a colonized land? Physically, where is it? A majority of the population lives coastally and on, and the central uh, Australia is quite empty in terms of population. Mm-hmm. So my theory here basically is that when I say colonial fear of Australian landscape and nature, that is a big part mm-hmm. of the history and the culture of this country yeah. from a colonial perspective, is that basically when this land was settled by colonizing Europeans, they came to this, what they viewed as a sparse, desolate wasteland. Mm-hmm an untamable mm-hmm. environment that would kill them. Um, yeah. <laughs> that there was no green, there was no lushness, there was mm-hmm. no life. And mm-hmm. they were terrified of it. And then they encountered a First Nations people who were completely accustomed to the land, knew how to manage it and thrived. Mm-hmm. And that created this awful fear and paranoia that contributed to a lot of the uh, racism and violence that exists in our history. Yeah. Very much Australia is like a harsh, empty land full of terrible spiders that will kill you in ways you can't even imagine. Something that often occurs to me, well, every single time I get the opportunity to travel overseas, which has happened many times because I've lived a very privileged, fortunate life. I've often gotten the chance to travel. Mm -hmm. Every time I get off a plane in another country, my first thought upon looking around is, first of all, usually, fuck, it's cold here. (laughs) (laughs) And then followed up immediately by everything green. is so green yeah, it's green it's so green <laughs> yeah without being here and looking at this country you cannot appreciate how fucking brown and dead everything mm. looks here but like i love it oh yeah of course <laughs> i love a burnt yeah. sunburnt country babe you know absolutely i talked about the east coast of australia as a rainforest and it is technically and literally but also like just driving through the farmlands, the fields, like the places around cities and in between buildings, everything here is so brown and such a like a dulled green compared yeah. to plants in other countries that it doesn't actually like when you go to other countries. Like I said, everything is a vivid, vivid, bright green. It looks photoshopped. It over looks there. photoshopped. It look real. Yeah, it doesn't look real. <laughs> other countries look insane. Everything's yeah. so bright and lush. It's like Candyland, you know? Yeah, it looks like a magical <laughs> fantasy land, just like, I don't know, England. It's <laughs> disgusting. And then here, Sickly. like, I love the way our country looks. It's beautiful, it's gorgeous to me, but it it does look like to the eyes of an outsider, it looks dead. Yeah. And so when colonizers first came over here, and you got to think as well, a lot of them were brought here against their will. They were brought mm. to this dead seemingly empty land full of all sorts of insane creatures they couldn't wrap their brains around yeah like a lot of them felt like they'd been shipped literally to hell yeah yeah which <laughs> definitely had a impact on the consciousness of the time <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> the collective consciousness yeah so yeah that's that's the colonial fear Where is the magic now in a colonized land? I personally think we've talked about how the land is palpably magic. Mm. I think with the effects of colonization of the last 250 years or so, definitely the magic has been pushed 
just as the colonial border has expanded. So obviously, like when you walk around this country, you'd still feel the magic, you'd still be able to see it. But I think obviously it would be more vivid in the outback and Mm. in the more untouched parts of the country is where it would be more palpable. Yeah, I think that's true. I don't really have anything more to comment there. <laughs> I think you've said it. <laughs> yeah. It's it's just like we were saying earlier in this episode where it's like, there's a noticeable difference. The vibes change when you mm-hmm. drive further inland. Like, obviously, like, we still have a beautiful country and it. it's a very different experience living on the East Coast. But the further inland you drive, the more surreal yeah. things start to feel. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> and I think that's definitely the the essence of what I'm getting at here with Magical Australia is that the East Coast is like fairly sort of normalized like you know there is magic there but it's more hidden Mm -hmm. pockets of magic similar to what we see in the harry potter books but the further inland you get the harder it is to not notice the magic yeah the lines blur the lines blur significantly Mm -hmm. yeah and i think that will become more apparent as we talk about history and culture as well the red center the magical center it all fits (laughs) (laughs) spiders flee before it. no this is australia spiders flee towards it it all fits (laughs) (laughs) I think there's also something to be said about how the magnetic centre of Australia is Uluru Ooh, as well. Oh, yeah. Like, that feels very I didn't magical. think of that as well. Yeah, <laughs> Uluru's magnetic. <laughs> yeah, if we're saying that like a lot of the magical presence and the palpability of magic is in central Australia, in the outback, in the bush, Uluru is the, is the centre mm-hmm. of Australia. Like, it would be the most magical place. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. almost exactly in the centre. It's not quite, because it's a bit further north. Yeah. But yeah, almost if you picked a map, picked up a map of Australia and put your finger right in the centre of it, that would be where Uluru is. Basically where Alice Springs and Uluru is. Yeah, yeah it is a deeply, deeply magical place. <laughs> it's gotta be. There is a <laughs> yeah. fucking huge rock in the centre of our country. It's a magnet. <laughs> you can't touch it or you shouldn't touch it because it's you shouldn't, shouldn't be touched it. but people climb it it has terrible it has um oh, well we you can't climb it anymore yeah, it's illegal climate thankfully good it's a sacred site it has waterfalls it's beautiful i've actually seen pictures of the waterfalls before it's just it would be amazing to see it in person i'd love to go see love to see all in person yeah, yeah that's got to be the most magical site in australia that's i mean that's just sort of the tip of the iceberg of what i imagine australian magical land is like and again i like to reiterate that we're both white australians mm-hmm. and our perspectives are limited and would be so much more enriched with the point of views and perspectives of First Nations peoples. Mm-hmm. So that's Australian magical land. <laughs> I don't know how we end that's this. Australian magical land. <laughs> Next time we're going to try and cover Australian magical history, a topic that would be difficult to cover in one episode without the word magic in there. <laughs> yeah. That's going to be yeah. hectic. I've been Jem and... See you later, alligators. And I've been Rhea in a while, crocodile. Thanks for listening. If you want to support us or get in touch, the links to our social media and Patreon are in the show notes. Please feel free to send us so many messages that we go mad and run away to a hut on a rock in the middle of the sea just to avoid them. You'll hear from us again in two weeks' time. In terms of Australia... Oh, sorry. Can we hear someone screaming for attention <laughs> I in can the background? Hear yeah, that's <laughs> awful, Bobby. Hey, hey, shut up. <laughs> We're busy. <laughs> Shh, quiet. She's never done that before. <laughs> Six years. <laughs> sorry. Completely. She literally just ran up and started meowing for attention. Shush. <laughs> uh, so, in terms of Australia? Yeah, what the fuck was I talking about? 
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.